0: Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard Roper. Thanks to everybody, as always, who has been listening and subscribing and sharing and all that good stuff. We really appreciate it. Uh, we are in late February of the year 2023. This reminds me of back in the day. You youngsters won't know about this, but your, your parents or your grandparents will know about this. Uh, back in the day, the first few months of a new year You know, we used to have these things called checks, personal checks that you would write, you know, actual physical checks, and you'd have to date them and sign them. Uh, And then the first couple of months of any given year, you'd always be like, oh, shit, I put 1975, but it's now 1976. I got to remember. So people sometimes would write the date on the first. Ten blank checks they had in the checkbook, just so they'd get the year right. That's a that's a a thing that doesn't happen too much anymore. Although once in a while, people still write personal checks. So it's the year twenty twenty three. I thought for today's podcast, we would take a look back at some of the films that came out in the first couple of months of nineteen eighty three. Now you know I love to do my uh, my Saint Jude the Apostle. Grammar school taught math here. So 1983, 93, 03, 30, That's 40 years ago. Some of these movies came out. These move, all these movies came out 40 years ago. So we're gonna take a look back at some of the some of the interesting releases from the first few months of 1983. Also, reviews of lots of new stuff coming out. You might have heard a little something about the cocaine bear. If only they could have gotten a little publicity for this movie called Cocaine Bear. That and several other movies and streaming series we're going to review on today's podcast. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success, because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity.
1: I bet they're looking for us. This is our territory. I wish that you could concentrate on something else just once in a while. What's your name? Pony boy Curtis. These are greasers who tried to pick up on our women. Must be someplace. Now grazers, socios must be someplace with plain ordinary people. You be careful. Ain't gonna hurt me no more. There you go, Ponyboy.
0: That's a clip from The Outsiders, a uh, Francis Ford Coppola film adaptation of a very famous and popular young adult novel by S.E. Hinton. That's one of the many movies of note that came out in the first couple of months in 1983. Let's start off by talking about Videodrome. Uh, Have you guys seen this one? If you haven't, uh, it's from the great David Cronenberg. It's a Canadian uh, made science fiction body horror film. And even though, you know, some of the some of the effects and looks, uh, you know, it's 40 years ago, folks. But this is some really eerie, creepy stuff. So here's the deal here. James Woods, uh, Debbie Harry in this film. It's set in Toronto right during the time it was made in the early 1980s. And uh, it's all about this small UHF. And again, when we talk about checks, we also talk about VHF, uh, VHF and UHF and all that. I think it was VHF, right? Hold on. I'm going to look that up right now. Is it was it VHF, UHF? There was UHF. And let's see. Wait a minute. This is very exciting. I'm looking this up as we speak. Uh, UHF and VHF frequencies, folks. Uh, UHF was ultra high frequency. VHF was very high frequency. And back in the day, the VHF stations were the stronger ones. And that was your CBS and NBC and ABC affiliates. And then UHF, you know, in Chicago, it was like channel 32 and channel 44. And that's the one your antenna, you'd sometimes get these snowy images anyway. This movie set at a small UHF television station. Uh, and uh, James Woods, he discovers these, um, he's called, he plays Max Wren, and uh, he's the president of this trashy uh, TV channel. He's looking for a way to bring in viewers, and he stumbles upon this broadcast signal of snuff films. Now, snuff films are the stuff of urban legend. We think mostly urban legend, hopefully uh, urban legend. And snuff films that's when they depict actual uh, deaths taking place murders so you know torture and punishment and all that now this guy thinks the graphic violence that this that he's got a hold of is fake but maybe it's not fake and it just gets deeper and stranger after that videodrome is now considered a cult classic it's uh it's a classic in the, in the genre that they call body horror I recently rewatched it, and man, it, it you know, if you're going to watch it right before you go to bed, you might not sleep well that night. Talk about another disturbing film that came out and has been uh, an influence on a lot of other films. It's Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy with Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, of course. Let's take a listen to a clip from The King of Comedy.
1: So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin.
0: His name is Rupert
1: Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pupkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert Pupkin. P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know. That Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro,
0: Jerry Lewis, in a Martin Scorsese picture, the king of comedy. So, the setup here is uh, De Niro plays Rupert Pupkin, and he's a, a guy who wants to be a stand up comedian. He literally does acts like in his mom's basement where he pretends to be a stand up comedian. Uh, he wants to be the king of comedy. Now, Jerry Lewis who every once in a while, Jerry Lewis would do these amazing straight dramatic roles. And, he, you know, the guy was an incredible actor, actually. I don't think he gets enough credit for his acting because he's known for, the, you know, the wild over the top uh, brilliant comedies and the, you know, the act he did with Dean Martin. But here he's playing Jerry Langford, who's essentially Johnny Carson. He's modeled after Johnny Carson. He's the the king, the real king of late night comedy and uh, De Niro's Rupert Pupkin wants to get on that show and goes to extreme extreme lengths including kidnapping to get on the show and uh, this film from scorsese is a huge influence on the movie joker you know, a lot of people noted the similarities there including of course the appearance of of robert de niro but a lot of the same elements there and sandra bernard is really good too she's masha she's another very unstable person deeply disturbing great film the king of comedy also came out in early 1983 now, here's another film that came out in 1983 early on that nobody has ever called great and nobody ever should, although it is the follow-up to a great film. You might remember, of course, the classic film from the early 70s, The Sting, which again I recently rewatched with Redford and Newman, of course, and and the great Robert Shaw's The Foil as the bad guy, the the mark, and that's still one of the great con man movies of all time. Just beautifully done, you know, very stylish. So They come up 10 years later with the idea of The Sting 2, which is written by David S. Ward, who wrote The Sting. And it was confusing from the start because the director said it's inspired by The Sting, but it's not a continuation. The two main characters who were played by, believe it or not, Mac Davis, the country singer, who also did some pretty good acting. He was in a great football movie called North Dallas 40. Uh, Mac Davis and Jackie Gleason are the primary con men, and then Oliver Reed takes over the Robert Shaw role, but he is Doyle Lonegan, who refers to things, the character refers to things that happened in the first movie, but it's not really a sequel, it's a mess. So The Sting 2 came out, didn't do really great, shouldn't have done really great. Just want to let you know, to avoid that, if if you've happened to revisit or watch for the first time The Sting and you find out there's a sequel, it's one of the worst sequels of all time. Also uh, coming out in early 1983 is Betrayal. Now, that's an adaptation of Harold Pinter's 1978 play of the same name. Very interesting film. Probably the most memorable thing about this is that it's told in uh, reverse chronological order. It's the story of a a long-term extramarital affair between uh, an art gallery owner and I think it's uh, a literary agent. Uh, And he's cheating with his best friend's wife. Uh, So nine sequences in the film are shown in reverse chronological order. We see uh, this couple meeting for the first time at the end of the movie. One of the pop culture uh, offshoots of The Betrayal, you might remember the Betrayal episode of Seinfeld, which even had a character named Pinter. And that's the episode where, remember, Elaine's friend, uh, the O. Henry uh, heiress, uh, Sue Ellen Mischke? You know, the uh, bra-wearing mistress, uh, uh, heiress, I should say, of the uh, O. Henry fortune. Anyway, she gets married in India. And anyway, in the betrayal episode of Seinfeld, they showed everything in reverse chronological order. And some people thought it was the worst episode of all time of Seinfeld. I think it's kind of fun, actually, especially when you realize what they're doing there. You don't get a lot of sitcoms in the 80s that were paying homage to a British film adaptation of a Harold Pinter play. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, in the early 80s was the era, too, where we were getting a lot. We've got a lot of great comedies in the 80s, you know, the John Hughes films and things like that. But there were also a lot of the sleazy uh, sexploitation films were big in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, two of the worst, My Tudor and Spring Break, came out in early 1983. Uh, in My Tutor, uh Matt Latanzi, who probably became best known... For marrying Olivia Newton John. They have a, they had a daughter named Chloe. Uh, Matt Latanzi plays a student who falls in love with his French tutor, played by Karen Kay. And there's a lot of gratuitous nudity and whatever. Uh, interesting, uh, Matt Latanzi actually stopped acting a long time ago. I was looking up what happened to him after we lost the, the legendary Olivia Newton-John not too long ago. Uh, And it turns out that even though he had split from Olivia Newton-John, they remained good friends, each uh, Olivia Newton-John remarried, Matanzi remarried, they were very close because of their daughter. But this is kind of interesting. This dude stopped acting uh, pretty much uh, in the 90s and was living off the grid for a long time and now reportedly runs a medical marijuana farm in Oregon. Uh, Kind of interesting. It happened uh, also, the guy who was the lead in 16 Candles. You know, this is the great thing while I'm talking to you guys, I can get my folks here immediately helping me or I can look stuff up. So uh, Michael Sheffling, who played Jake in 16 Candles, pretty much retired from acting at a young age as well. And I remember reading stories that he was in Pennsylvania. He was a furniture maker. Sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, whatever happened to them or, you know, what a failure. In a lot of cases, it's their choice. And you think, you know, maybe they're having a a happier and uh, more fulfilling life doing other things off the grid, and uh, acting was just a small part of their life, so good for them. Tender Mercies came out in early 1983, guys. Let's take a listen to the great Robert Duvall in Tender Mercies.
1: Hey, mister. Were you really Max Sledge? Yes, ma'am. I guess I was. (laughs) He was a star who reached for the stars and fell. All she remembers about you is a mean drunk trying to beat up her mama. You're dead as far as she's concerned. He was a star who reached
0: for life through his songs, but never let life reach him. He was a star who loved and was loved, yet never learned to love himself. He was a man unused to tenderness, yet seeking it. Tender Mercies. If you haven't seen this film, you owe it to yourself. Uh, Robert Duval had already established himself as one of our greatest actors from To Kill a Mockingbird through the Godfather movies and Apocalypse Now. Uh, and then with Tender Mercies, he actually won the Academy Award here. He plays a washed-up alcoholic country singer. Tess Harper is wonderful as the woman that kind of takes him in and becomes his salvation. Uh, this was written by the great Horton Foote. Got five Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. Very melancholy film, I got to say, man. I mean, I don't want to say a happy ending. There's some resolution, but whew, some tough stuff happens as well. But a great film, Tender Mercies. We also mentioned at the top of the uh, broadcast, the podcast today, The Outsiders. And this was really interesting to me when it came out because Francis Ford Coppola, who we just talked about, you know, he's doing these, you know, these films like uh, Godfather and Apocalypse Now and all of a sudden decided to do these smaller films, uh, Rumble Fish and the Outsiders, which were based on the Outsiders in particular, you know, a hugely influential and popular young adult novel by S.E. Hinton. It was set in 1965 Tulsa. It was about this group of tough kids and all the troubles they get into and how they kind of lean on each other because a lot of them come from broken families. And Francis Ford Coppola actually decided to make a movie out of the Outsiders after uh, uh, an English class and their Several classes of the teachers had written letters to him asking him to make a movie out of it. And he read the book and said, you know what, I, I think I should bring this novel to life. Uh, the cast is amazing. C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Ralph Macchio, Diane Lane and Rob Lowe, all in The Outsiders. It's a wonderful film, beautifully photographed. And a lot of these young actors were just coming into their own. So it's kind of interesting to see them just at the outset of their careers, The Outsiders. And I want to mention another movie. From 1983, that you guys might not have heard of, uh, it's called Bad Boys, and it's not the not the comedy, not the you know the, the big uh, action comedy, but uh, filmed in and around Chicago. And uh, Sean Penn, very young Sean Penn, plays Mick O'Brien. He's an Irish American tough kid from Chicago, and he gets sentenced to a, a juvenile detention center, and where all kinds of uh, rough and tough things happen. Terrific cast here, tough story, and also one of the early films that gave us an indication that Sean Penn had that James Dean, Marlon Brando-esque quality and was going to be in the movies and doing great work for a very, very long time. Uh, That's a look right there, guys, at some of the more uh, memorable and in some cases uh, should be forgotten movies that came out 40 years ago in 1983. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to hear from Rokhan about Portillo's, and then we're going to talk about stuff that's coming out now in 2023.
1: But first, Portillo's. They are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun. And, of course, the legend itself, the Chocolate Cake. If you are hearing this right now, that means you are alive and you are near a computer. Go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff that you can get anywhere in the United States of America. If you are blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about going online. Just go to the store, go get the hot dogs, go get the Italian beef, go get the salads, the chicken. They got It's all great. But the Chocolate Cake is is the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of humanity. Am I overstating that? (laughs) I am not. I am not. You go and you find out yourself. Order it online, go to a store, or if you really want to try something totally unique, the cake shake. They take the cake and they smush it (laughs) into a can with the I don't know what else it is. I guess ice cream and some other stuff. And then they put it in the blender. You know how they do that? Where they take yeah. that cannish-looking cup and they put it up into the blender. Zzzz. Next thing you know, <laughs> it comes out. And they put a cookie on the straw. And you're like, oh, my God. This oh. is the greatest thing that ever happened. This is a warning to diabetics. It may not be perfect for Good you. Lord. But for everybody else, <laughs> it is the greatest thing you could possibly have. Go to Portillo's.com. Find a location near your order online. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S, portillos.com. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space. But, quana Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal? Turn it off. Now! <laughs> beneath ours i can get you home and give you more time if you help me so what's it gonna be ant-man
0: okay guys uh as you know ant-man and the wasp quantum mania is now in theaters doing very well worldwide box office there are, you know these business stories saying well it's not doing the, the business in china that other superhero movies d- did and blah 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 and there's there's a little bit of a feeling out there that the marvel universe as it enters phase five now hasn't really lost its way but maybe doesn't have the buzz factor that it had a half dozen years ago and is and is searching for the next uh you know the next level of interest uh, you're always going to get the comic book fans and they are legion and they are in the millions uh but for films uh, to reach that level of iron man of uh some of the avengers movies they have to really cross over into audiences that didn't grow up maybe reading the comics or don't keep up with every single corner of the multiverse and i don't know if ant-man's ever going to be that Franchise. I love Paul Rudd. I mean, he's, he's Ant-Man, you guys. You know, I mean, he's Ant-Man. He's just never gonna be, you know, as interesting as a Tony Stark slash Iron Man, a Steve Rogers slash Captain America, or you know, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, these, these epic Shakespearean characters who have so many different levels to him. He's Ant-Man. You know, and and it's it, it's a great cast because you got Michael Douglas, you got Bill Murray and Michelle Pfeiffer, these reliable icons. And then you've got the next generation with Evangeline Lilly and Corey Stoll and William Jackson Harper, et cetera, all fine actors. And then uh, Jonathan Majors is now playing the next huge uh, villain in the in the Marvel Universe. So Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's it's a three star movie. It's not the greatest thing in the Marvel Universe, but keeps things moving along, has a uh, running time of 125 minutes, which is relatively short for a Marvel movie. I also want to mention "Party Down on Stars." Do you guys remember this series? So this was about, uh, well, gosh, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, Stars was really—I was actually doing a lot of work for Stars in the two thousands. They were mostly showing movies; uh, hadn't gotten into a ton of original programming. And I was always hosting various things for them. They were great to work with, uh, and then started branching into, uh, you know, original entertainment. Uh, and this was one of their earlier efforts. So Party Down was the name of the show. Uh, really interesting uh, genesis of this. There's some great stuff you can find out online about how the four creators of the show, including Paul Rudd, who they were all struggling writers slash actors who would talk about doing a show that kind of mirrored their own lives. So it was set, you know, in a, They're they're uh, cater waiters, basically. Uh, and the cool thing about Party Down was because of the nature of the show, which was about this party down catering firm, every episode could be in a new location. It could be at a big Hollywood party or a family reunion or a wedding, whatever the case may be. It ran for just two seasons in 2009 and 2010, a total of 20 episodes. Uh, It had all these brilliant talents, Adam Scott, Jane Lynch, Jennifer Coolidge, Megan Mullally, Ken Marino, Ryan Hansen, Martin Starr, Lizzie Kaplan. I mean, they've all gone on to do great stuff. Some of them had already done a lot of good work. Jane Lynch had been working steadily for quite a while, but most of them were just starting out uh, and they were terrific in this, but they just couldn't get people to watch. The, the The finale of Party Down was watched by 74,000 people. And even back then, that's just you're just not going to get renewed. And then there was a change in ownership at Stars, and the show just went away. And for for more than a decade, there's been talk about bringing it back. There was At one point, they were talking of maybe turning it into a feature film where we could catch up with all the characters. They finally decided to do a a six-episode season three. Everybody's back except for Lizzie Kaplan. She had a a scheduling conflict. All the other characters are back. We find out what they've been up to, uh, where they've ended up. A lot of them end up winding uh, back with the catering firm. And I got to tell you guys, it's so smart and so funny. They do great slapstick, but then really smart stuff. Uh, guest starring appearances by Jennifer Garner and James Marsden and Nick Offerman, among others, uh, in the uh, season three. My only complaint is there's only six episodes. And my guess is that's because it's really hard to get Adam Scott and Jane Lynch and all these other characters back together at the same time. But if you get a chance to check it out, what you can watch the original, even if you've never seen the first, you know, the first those 20 episodes I talked about. The season three stands alone, but it, it, you should go back. You can get star, I don't know they got deals on stars right now for five bucks or some stuff. I'm not advertising for stars. It's up to you. But there are ways to catch the first two seasons, and then you can jump right in for party down season three. Completely different material. The Murdoch murders on Netflix. Now, we just had, I think it was about. Late last year, there was a three-part HBO Max documentary series called Low Country, the Murdoch Dynasty, which told about the series of events that blew up this family in what they call the Low Country of South Carolina. Uh, And right now, as I'm recording this podcast, there's a murder trial going on with Alex Murdoch on charges of killing his wife and son. The Murdoch Murders on Netflix, three-part series that tells you about this family that had all this clout. Uh, four generations of solicitors, which is essentially uh, the district attorney, but their reach went far beyond the courtroom. Basically, if you were in any pocket of Hampton County, South Carolina, you knew who the Murdochs were and you either benefited from them uh, having you in their favor or feared them. Uh, their reach was so strong. And the this, this series is amazing, you guys, because it's, it's like when I tell people about everything that happens, they're like, wait a minute, all of this with the same family? I'll just leave it at this. There were five deaths and an attempted murder, among other crimes, including embezzlement and and lots of other stuff, that all were connected in one way or another, allegedly or criminally, to the same family. And the Murdoch murders on Netflix uh, does an outstanding job of laying out everything that happened. And um, it's one of those, you know. You watch the three episodes and they go by in a heartbeat because you're just like, "What the fuck are we even watching here?" Uh, amazing stuff. And finally, as I'm recording this, guys, I'm just fresh from my screening of Cocaine Bear. I have seen Cocaine Bear, which, of course, as you know, is been a viral sensation as a marketing gimmick. Just the idea that there's a movie called. Now, I think probably. Not since Snakes on a Plane has there been a movie title that just had people laughing and also knowing, well, I know what this is about. It's a cocaine bear is the center of this story. Uh, For those of you who might not have heard about it, uh, it's based on a real, well, I shouldn't say based on a real life story. It's inspired by the true life story. This happened way back in 1985. There was a, and this is the real life part of it, guys, which which is covered for about seven minutes in the movie, and then the rest of it's pure fiction. But it was a real life guy. He had been a narcotics officer, then he turned into, turned, you know, evil and dark, and went to the other side, and uh, became a drug smuggler. Real life guy. This guy's in a plane. He jumps out of the plane, but apparently hits his head, or somehow is rendered unconscious. His his parachute doesn't work, and he ends up dead on a driveway in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, strapped to his person, weapons and also drugs, uh, and, and then it turns out this guy had dumped uh, duffel bags, dozens of duffel bags filled with cocaine, and they had all landed in the forests of Georgia. I guess the idea was, you know, you you dump the stuff and then you you recover everything. That part of the story is true and is depicted here in the movie *Cocaine Bear*. In real life, then a black bear came across uh, these duffel bags filled with cocaine, ingested a lot of the cocaine, and died fairly quickly. You know, the authorities found the bear dead because it had overdosed on cocaine. In the movie version, the bear finds the cocaine, snorts a bunch of the cocaine, eats a bunch of the cocaine, and then goes on a killing rampage, none of which happened in real life. And Elizabeth Banks is the the director of this, and I think she she has the right touch to this. Listen, it's going to be a hard R, uh, gory, blood-spattered B-movie uh, she kind of films it in the style of 1980s horror films it's got great 80s tunes on the soundtrack and then you got this terrific cast uh everybody you got uh o'Shea jackson jr and alden iron reich they play two guys who work for a drug kingpin who's played by the late Ray Liotta. in fact uh alden's character is ray Liotta's character's son they go into the forest to retrieve the drugs Uh, The great Margo Martindale plays the local park ranger who finds herself uh, fending off attacks from a cocaine-fueled bear. Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family shows up, reunited with uh, Elizabeth Banks, of course, played the best friend, Sal, uh, on Modern Family. Carrie Russell plays a single mom and nurse who goes into the woods to rescue her 13-year-old daughter who has been chased by the bear. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is Bob. He's Bob. He's a cop who's been trying to nail the drug dealers for years and gets a tip that the the duffel bags are somewhere in the woods. Of course, what none of these people know is there's also a cocaine bear in the woods. And we get a lot of uh, quality kill in in dismemberment moments, fingers, uh, legs, heads separated from their owners. A lot of dark humor a couple of the kills in this movie almost reminded me of a a final destination film. I mean, they're way over the top and, you know, you either go for this kind of uh, dark humor or you don't, you know, going into this, that it's going to be way over the top. I have to say the, the cocaine bear uh, is a pretty good bear in terms of the special effects, the CGI. There's only a couple of moments where you're like, it doesn't feel like the bear is really there. And the cast does a great job because a lot of times they're acting off a CGI bear and one another. And, all of these fine actors kind of throw themselves into the material. They know this is a B-movie. I don't want to say their performances are campy, but they're kind of camping near campy. And it's only about an hour and a half, which is all you really need to uh, to follow the story of Cocaine Bear. So for what it wants to be and what it is, this is actually one of the more entertaining movies of the young year. Cocaine Bear in theaters as we speak.
1: Millions of dollars worth of cocaine fell from the sky this morning. There's more of this out there. They dumped it somewhere. A lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. No, 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 no! Don't eat that! Don't eat that! Let's see what kind of effect that has on it. The bear! It did cocaine! A bear did cocaine! Apex predator. I on cocaine. Out of its mind. Bam straight out! What's wrong with that bear? It don't ever come down.
0: Alright, guys. We're going to talk next time out about the Academy Awards. They're only a couple of weeks away. And on the next edition of the Richard Roper podcast, I will have for you my predictions in every single category. And also, I'll tell you how you could win a prize that includes going to a screening with me. Whether or not you think that's a prize is is up to you, but we're going to be offering that. Uh, via my my home newspaper, The Chicago Sun-Times. So we'll tell you all about that as well. As always, thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Richard Roper. We'll talk again soon.